in the midweek groups that you're in as you come that, the, the video and the discussions we're having, we're very job focused. Um, for, but for me, I think that's too narrow a definition of vocation. Um, I think, um, in a way, it could hinder you if you think of it as just purely your job. So, some people say vocation is, uh, is a lot more. It's something like, you know, some definitions are a strong desire to follow a certain path. Uh, and that's much more uh, than those who are just employed. Um, that can be all of us, young, old, employed, voluntary, working, retired, building family, building a home. Life is much more than your job, I'm sure you'll agree. Some people say you missed your vocation in life. They don't mean your career, they mean like the calling you should have potentially followed as an expression sometimes. So vocation is more about purpose. And it's ironic, I think, that when someone asks you, what do you do? 99 times out of 10, your answer is, gonna, is your job or I'm retired. That's what most people respond with. It's an interesting challenge. God is, God, it doesn't, we don't mention God's calling on our lives or what we feel our actual calling is or our purpose. We just respond with a career response. Um, so today is all about how we do actually think about our lives differently and what God has called us to. And most importantly of all, I think the, the key of this message is what God has actually equipped you and me to do. He's equipped us for good works. So this message includes everyone, and it's based on a scripture that we, we would have studied some time ago. We had a great season in Ephesians, and there's this thing here that says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand. I want to keep that in mind. He prepared them beforehand. So he already knows what things he's going to be calling us to do, that we should walk in them. We're going to start in an odd place of the Bible soon and look at one of the best-known um, juicy Bible stories from the Old Testament. Most people know it, whether you're a Christian or not. One that I want to propose most of us now or at some time, have, including myself, have misinterpreted what it actually means and have taken a wrong or a narrow view of the message that the story is actually trying to tell. So when you look at it, like a lot of things, when you look at it from a different angle, you get more of a whole. And that will then translate, I think, into what we, we mean about vocational health later on. Whatever you're called to do, and also, whatever stands in your way. Quick experiment. Without punching the person in front of you, could you put your, your right hand out with your fist clenched? Everybody, hold it out so you can see it. Now, with the other hand, take your pinky finger and hold it about one inch away from your hand. By definition, it is a little finger. We agree? So close one eye without poking yourself in the eye. Pull that finger right up against your eye, the one that's open. Can you see your fist anymore? No. Okay, remember that. Remember that. Because that's what I want to keep in mind about perspective. A lot of things in life, it's all about perspective. And God, through this series, I believe, by His Spirit, this isn't a technical series, He's been trying to help us get some sense of perspective about the challenges that we face. So today's message, I was going to come in a suit, but I thought it would be too distracting, is going to be called this. The case of Andy Smith versus YouTube. <laughs> and I'm going to present something about the way in which videos on YouTube, and not just YouTube, many other sources present this particular story. And I'm not just picking on YouTube. Any teaching that misrepresents the Bible as a biblical historical record by the term biblical historical record, what I technically mean is what we call history. The Bible records history. 
to deny the Bible records history is really quite a major challenge to any historical record you've ever read. It is validated, it is corroborated, a lot of what it says is because of this person, son of this person, near this person, so that it was, a cor it was corroborating, or whatever word, the better word is for that, but confirming this actually happened. So we, we take that as history, and yet people sometimes say, well, the Bible's just a myth book. Well, actually, the Bible's full of historical stories. I'm going to look at and expose the story of an aggressor and his victim, I'm going to produce some evidence to contradict and argue that the case should be thrown out of court. So, it's a case within a case. I'm talking about a story within a... Uh, that my case against YouTube is about another story within a story. You'll see what I mean in a minute. I love, I love courtroom dramas. They're my favourite thing. 12 Angry Men, if you haven't seen it, is one of the best films of all time. Download it. It's a black and white, I think, but it's a classic film about sort of a courtroom drama. But let's, let's go anyway. Let's get into this. Today is an example, though, before I just get into the story itself, of looking at a biblical story from another angle and letting it actually stretch us, stretch our minds a bit. At least that's my aim. So if you think back to the pinky thing, what do you think the story I'm going to focus in on? Any guesses? David and Goliath. Famous story, David and Goliath. I'm going to look at the pretty common interpretation of it, which is that he's an underdog, he's a little boy, David's a little shepherd boy, and he's taking on this huge giant, Goliath, and miraculously meet, beating him. God is with him, that's why he beats him. Just, just God is with the little boy against the big Goliath, and therefore that's, how, that's the reason he beats him. Now to reinforce this interpretation, and we're taking a risk on technology now, we can turn the sound up, we'll see if it works, and if it doesn't, I'm going to have to, well, <laughs> we'll see. But I actually want to show you a video from YouTube that has 2.7 million uh, views. So hopefully it's going to kick up. This is David and Goliath, sorry, I should have clicked that before, that kind of traditional image of what it's like, that's a cartoon drawing, yeah, that kind of colossal giant and this little kid down in front of him. Let's watch what uh, the YouTube video in particular I want to present as a piece of evidence. There you go. That's one of many videos with millions of views. That one in particular, 2.7 million views. Common view of the story, nervy, powerless David against the might of Goliath. 
That's the common view of the story. David's chance shot takes him down, and we attribute that to God making this very small stone supernaturally fall a giant, you know, hit him straight in the eyes and take him down. So we take from that, if our God is with us and who can stand against us, we sung it this morning, even David, this, this little pathetic sometimes portrayed or very slight shepherd boy against this big giant. He took him down. Now, that's not untrue in some ways, but it's not the story of David and Goliath I see when I look at Scripture. In that video and others, things you read and things you see, that's rubbish. That's garbage, what really was going on. And yet it's a commonly perceived version of the story. 2.7 million views. There's another one like it, well, I'll reference later when I was looking at this online. So I'm going to present my case. I'm going to present my case to you. So, my opening statement. Members of the jury, that is you, by the way. You have to read the Bible and not rely on things online, things that you might read in articles. Start with the Bible, or one of two things will happen. One, you'll get exposed to many inaccuracies, And two, you'll see a one-dimensional story often and you'll miss or be misled in what God's revealing and actually saying. So we're going to read the Bible together on this battle. And you'll soon start to hear there's not only a lot of inaccuracies in there, in that video, but facts that start to unpick as I go through the story about this wimpy, nervous, talentless underdog who takes on the insurmountable foe. And we're going to look at these two characters, David and Goliath, in reverse order, and pull the rug from under some prevalent theories about both of them. Now, if you do not know the story and you've never heard it, then it's fine. Don't panic, because you'll get to hear the story as we go. And rather than start with this kind of flawed, thin view of it, you might actually get the view that's much richer, and that's good news, it's a good place to start. But I've taken, you know, I've been a Christian for a lot of years, and I have to say, when I started looking at this closely, it's challenged me a lot of the things I kind of just read into it that I really probably should think about differently. So I'm going to read the scripture. I have truncated it, so it will be hard to follow through your Bible in that I've kind of taken bits of it out because it's a very long section of scripture. And I'll just read you some of the story. So I'll read it out, probably easy to follow on screen. But it's from 1 Samuel 17. And it starts like this. And shout at me if I forget to click the clicker at the right moments. Here we go. So the Philistine army, the enemy, are facing the Israelite army, the army that David comes from, that we're supporting, and they're facing each other across a valley in a battle. And it says this, And there came out of the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. He had a helmet of bronze on his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail, and the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. And he had a bronze armor on his legs, and a javelin of bronze slung between his shoulders, The shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam. I have no idea what that is. Um, And his spearhead weighed 600 shekels of iron. And his shield bearer went before him. He stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel. And the Philistine said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul, Saul was the king of Israel, when Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and they were greatly afraid. That goes on for 40 days. He keeps taunting them every single day. Send me someone that I might kill them. Now David comes into the story. David is the youngest of, I think, eight brothers. 
and he was told by his father Jesse to go and take provisions down to the battlefield for his three elder brothers who were soldiers. So he's a shepherd boy, he's a shepherd, but his father says, go and take some food down and refreshments down to your brothers on the battlefield. Um, and when he gets there, his brothers have a go at him. What are you doing? What's, who's looking after the sheep? Boy, you should be back doing what you're doing. Get out of the battlefield. But while he's there, David hears Goliath making his shouts. And he says, and David says to the Israelites around him, so he's with a crowd of Israelites, he hears Goliath shout and he says this, what shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this that he should defy the armies of the living God? When the words that David spoke were heard, they repeated them before Saul and he sent for him. And David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight the Philistine. And Saul said to David, you are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him. You are but a youth. And he has been a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep sheep for his father. I'm a sheep boy. And when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it from his mouth. And if he arose again, against me I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him your servant has struck down both lions and bears and this uncircumcised Philistine should be like one of them for he has defied the armies of the living God what happens then is Saul puts armor on David David says nope don't want that on thank you tries it on it's too restrictive so it says David put them off the armor then he took his staff in his hands and he chose five smooth stones from the brook and put them in his shepherd's pouch. His sling was in his hands and he approached the Philistine. And the Philistine moved forward and came near to David with his shield bearer in front of him. And when the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him for he was but a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. And the Philistine said to David, am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. field. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defiled. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. And that all this assembly may know, everyone around may know, that the Lord saves, not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. Finally, when the Phil this is the actual battle, when the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David, David ran quickly towards the battle line to meet the Philistine. And David had put in his hand uh, put his hand in his bag and took out a stone and slung it and struck the Philistine on, on his forehead. The stone sank, in, sank into his forehead and he fell on his face to the ground. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. There was no sword in the hand of David. Right, now if you're kind of switched on, you would have already heard quite a lot of inaccuracies between what I've just read and the typical portrayal in cartoon, video, story, or boiled down version of the battle that actually went on. So you're hearing it. You'll hear about David, and he doesn't sound like that guy. We'll come back to that in a minute. But I want to present my case, first of all, around Goliath, the aggressor. So the aggressor, Goliath. 
And there came out of the camp of the Philistine a champion named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. Now Goliath is often referred to as a giant. So quickly, especially in modern culture, we flick to that cartoon image in our heads and we think of a supernatural giant, like Jack and the Beanstalk type giant, or maybe nowadays Lord of the Rings type orc giants, but really supernaturally big. That's where that video doesn't mess up too much, but many do, some cartoons especially do. Goliath is not a mythological or supernatural giant. He's just a truly big dude, a big guy. The height is somewhere between eight and nine feet. Some argue some texts make him shorter. Whatever it is, no one ran up to Goliath with a tape measure and went, hey, mate, do you mind if we... I don't think they would have done. But he's extremely tall, like one person I personally happen to know. <laughs> if you don't know who that is, that is my son, Joel, taken about three weeks ago. I think it might be a tad of perspective, but maybe not. I used to be tall. These people who refer you are tall guys. I feel tiny in front of my own son. The tallest man that we know, noting we've only been recording it since the 1900s, is a guy called Robert Pershing, I think is his name. He was just an inch off nine foot. Now, if Pershing lived in our times, there's every chance he would have been spotted. Yeah, he would have, wouldn't he? He would have spotted him. He would have been spotted, bulked up, caked in armour and trained to fight because of just the intimidating size that he offers. My son Joel has already been spotted by a football scout, just nothing too serious at the moment. We haven't bought a house yet or anything like that. But, um, <laughs> but he's already been spotted in goal saying, hang on a sec, how old are you? Well, at that point it was 15. Okay, you could be trained up. We were saying this the other day, you can't train height, but you can train skills, but look at that height. So if potentially, he's got a lot of potential if he's trained well. Now there's a problem though with Pershing and others of extreme height. Thankfully not Joel, he's not of that Pershing ranks. He's not in that kind of height, he's just very tall. But most of this height in someone like that is due to a condition that they have. It causes abnormal growth, that, that really tall growth. And it's called acromegaly. And in the case of Andy versus YouTube, I want to present some findings from my expert witness, who has an incredible haircut. This is a real guy who's written a book, did a lot of study on it. His name's Michael Glad Malcolm Gladwell. So he's studied the story in a lot of detail and concluded that there's every indication that Goliath was suffering from acromegaly, to be that tall. Because they give an exact measurement. So this is the most commonly caused, it's really caused by a tumour. It causes an excessive release of a growth hormone and it has other unpleasant side effects. Aches, pains, mobility issues and impaired vision. So here's what Malcolm's study has argued. Asked you to listen to this. This evidence that Goliath was not somewhat invincible, noting that he was caked in impressive armour. It says, when the Philistine arose, and is that what I've got there? Yeah. Philistine rose and came and drew near to meet David. David ran quickly towards the battle line to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand in his bag and took out the stone and slung it and struck the Philistine on his forehead. That's what happened. That's what we hear. I'll read out the other sort of account from the other side. It says, And the Philistine moved towards David and came near with his shield bearer in front of him. Okay? So this is the one. His shield bearer is in front of him. And the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? 
And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. That's what Goliath says. I want to put three of many things that Malcolm chooses to back up his theory that actually Goliath is suffering from acromegaly, and that's the sort of person he is. He says, move forward and come near to me. And, uh, move forward and came near. He cries out, come near to me. Why? Why come near? We would like to argue, myself and Malcolm, that Goliath has impaired vision. He cannot see David clearly. It's a side effect of acromegaly. You could argue, though, that he's trying to just get in within javelin range. So you could argue that, but there is further evidence. Am I a dog? that you come at me with sticks. Sticks? What sticks? Says David potentially had his crook with him. He's not going to carry two crooks. He's got one crook. Maybe not at all. But he's seeing sticks. Can't make out what they are and thinks there's many of them. Goliath potentially is blurred vision, double vision, trying to see what he could... You've got sticks? Finally, it says, with his shield bearer in front of him. It wasn't in the video. I think it ran off screen before this thing started, if it was there at all. But there's no reason for that. His shield will be a fighting shield, not a crest of honor shield. We present you as actually being led towards the battlefield. So there's evidence that Goliath might be strong, but he's not likely quick. With acromegaly, he wouldn't likely be quick. But he's sure intimidating. In close combat, he is a champion. He's been fighting for a long time. So in close combat, he's got an tr- incredible advantage, very long reach. He's got armor all over him, so he can, he can fight close up. But as you're going to hear shortly, he doesn't seem to really take David on. And even in that video, it shows him throwing a spear and stuff. and Not, not, not really a fight. David just takes him down. So he's big. But I want to argue he's potentially slow and he can't see David clearly until he's close enough. But here's my point. There's evidence to support the idea that Goliath is not invincible. He's quite beatable. He's just huge. He's no pushover, but he's not even close to invincible. You just need the right skills to take him out. So let's look at David. Now, it says, And when the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth, ruddy and handsome. So the common image of David is like this one in the video and others. He's kind of cute, boy band cute. That's true, it says he's handsome, but it doesn't say cute. It's rugged. It often shows him as frightened or intimidating. One version, which is equally as popular, has him walking like this. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Walking towards Goliath, recounting Psalm 23. But especially in this video, he shows him ill-prepared, talentless, poor shot. In this one, he misses twice. Well, he throws it and Goliath just like, knocks it away. They portray him as almost passive, a poor choice for any warrior. And that all feeds into this version of the story, which is Goliath, the giant warrior, that David is pathetic, just a sling, and few God was with him, and that, that weak shot that you see in the video somehow propelled into exactly the right position to take David down. The tragedy of that misconception of what the story is perceived to represent, because I think it's wrong and it's damaged if we think about what we think the story is supposed to represent, and that's what we have as a kind of portrayal of it. It's damaging, because this version of the story, Goliath generally represents the world and the things that are evil and some force that's trying to come against us, 
and we're supposed to perceive that actually this powerful, strong opposition, which is mocking us, we're David and we're kind of a bit, huh? and, and so we can't really take him on. But if our God is for us, then who can ever stop us? So God takes the weak David, his nature, and he, through his intervention, he, he falls the giant that's causing the problem. So the picture is, that's the thing that's coming against us, but God can just take it down for you. Passively, you just shake, and, there come, and then something God comes in and just takes it away. The us being David. I don't think that's just harmful. I think that's wrong. Plain wrong. I want to argue that, yes, David is us in the story. He is us. Called by God. And we can see David differently. If we do, I say that actually we can now think about ourselves differently. That's why I want this story. I want us to think about ourselves differently. Because if we think of David differently, we can suddenly realize, hang on a second, in my battles I could think of myself differently. So, once again, let me present the final part of my case based on three, what I say, three misconceptions and eight pieces of evidence. Then we're going to talk, we're going to pray, and we're going to worship together. The first thing is that David was intimidated, nervous, and fearful. Exhibit number one says this. This is David. What shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Exhibit number two. And if he, a lion, arose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Exhibit number three. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them. For he has defiled the armies of the living God. Exhibit number four, the day the Lord will this day the Lord will deliver you into my hand and I will strike you down and cut off your head. Intimidated, nervous and fearful, no. No. He's eager to take Goliath down. Why? Because he believes God is with him and he believes God has a plan for him, his life and the people of Israel and therefore who are you to stand in the way of God? He's been told by God, he's been chosen by God. God has spoken to him and told about his purpose on his life. And he believed that what God said about him will come to pass, even up against incredible odds. And there's going to be difficulty throughout his life. He will rule Israel. And so Goliath is just in the way. God is with him. What God speaks over you and us will come to pass. But I want to add something else. This. People say this. David was unprepared and ill-equipped. I present exhibit number five. Saul puts armor on David. David takes it off. David decides not to wear Saul's armor at this time. It's too restrictive and he needs to be free to move. That also represents the fact he's not petrified. Don't confuse this with an armor of God discussion, by the way. He's not petrified. He's saying, I don't need that. Something else is going to happen. He's not petrified. He is prepared. Exhibit number six. Then he took his staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones from the brook and put them in his shepherd's pouch. Now that video, now think back to the video. What's he doing? He's scrambling around in the dirt trying to find random stones at a random moment to throw at a giant who is slowly but surely coming towards him. He's fumbling. He's not choosing he is choosing stones. Malcolm Gladwell points this out. The stones that he would have choose would very likely be barium sulfate, 
which was the stone common to the area. They're incredibly hard. Slingers who use slingers would actually generally choose that stone. They would go to a brook because they could potentially be smoothed off. He's going to the right place to pick the right weapon to take Goliath down. He's choosing the perfect stone for a sling. David is aware of the weapon he has and how he's supposed to use it. Next point. Two more pieces of evidence I want to present. David was without skill, they say. It was only God who made the stone kill Goliath. Exhibit number seven. Your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear or a lamb from, uh, took, and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. Right, here's another little nugget. All right, here's another fact. How fast can a lion run, do you think? Kilometers, if you want to go metric. 80. Not the fastest, the average lion can run 80 kilometers per hour. How fast can Usain Bolt run? So kilometers just around the 40 mark, something like that, yeah. So lion twice the speed of Usain Bolt. Okay. What about me? Or you? <laughs> when I do the couch to 5K, maybe things will be different. But right now, I think I might manage 15. You know. The average human, in fact, we're not Usain Bolt's. 20 to 15 if you're fast. It's around 15. 15 kilometers, 80 kilometers for a lion. Usain Bolt, 40. Could you catch a lion? I'll give David 20. Maybe he's fit and he can run. The average, so even at half speed of an average lion, with a lamb in its mouth, says lamb, not sheep, small. Lions can run with things in their mouth. Twice the speed of a man. I doubt that the lamb slows the lion down. David couldn't catch it. So how about this? He hits the lion with his sling. He fires and he hits the lion with his sling. While running himself, takes it down. Lion down, stunned, walks up, kills it. Pick, lifts up its beard, kills the lion. Not run after it and take it on. That would be a more plausible version of the story. He uses the skill of the sling to take down the lion, then kills the lion. Some have punching, him punching lions. Again, evidence of that is he struck him. Struck can mean with a knife. Finally, and finally, exhibit number eight. This is against the argument that he was without skill. David ran quickly towards the battle line to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand in his bag and took out a stone and slung it and struck the Philistine on his forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell on his face to the ground. That sums a lot of the story up. But here's the thing. David's running towards him. He's courageous. And maybe he's even still running when he stops. Nothing like the video of him scrambling in the dirt. He runs towards the Philistine. He could potentially still be running, as in running after a lion, and be able to, and will be ready to swing. Not giving Goliath any time to react, no time for his javelin, that's not true in the video. He just goes up, shing, bang, one shot, down Goliath goes. David fires a single shot. He's got some skills. Let's be clear. This isn't a slingshot like a catapult, you know, the thing that we had with kids. Because if that could kill people, most parents would be dead by now. That is not the, the item involved. It's a different kind of weapon. A, sling, a, sl a skilled slingshooter, someone like David, who is likely to be, who's his weapon of choice, 
Shepherds would use it to do exactly what he did with bears and lions, can fire that super hard stone at incredible speed and with very good accuracy. Like all things, there's a group of people who studied this. Malcolm uh, Gladwell refers to them as sling nerds. There are sling nerds. They have done the calculations. On the ballistics, a slinger rotates that sling at a speed on average of six to seven um, times a second. When it's released, it releases at a speed of 35 miles per second. A mile per hour, I think it's a mile every 35 seconds, sorry. Get my facts straight. Reaches Goliath in something like three seconds. Gets to him really quickly. Super hard rock with the stopping power roughly equal to that of a bullet of a 45 caliber handgun by the time they're released. Goliath has a big head. He hits him with a bullet somewhere on his big head. Somewhere like in the middle, because it just strikes him in the, so somewhere here, that thing hits him. One shot. So at that power, it doesn't have to be pinpoint or lucky, just he's got a big noggin and this thing's coming at him at great speed. He's down, he's a goner. So here is my closing argument. Before we go to the, how are we going to apply this? <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, I put it to you that this case should be just thrown out of court. David is not the victim. One could even feel a bit sorry for Goliath. David is a person who managed to take down a giant who was standing in the way of God's plan for him and for God's people. That's the story of David versus Goliath. Goliath represents the things that get in the way of God's plan on a grand scale, but also in the plan for your life. They seem so large, finance, emotion, spiritual, mental, relational. These things seem so big. And they stand before you, along with other things, insecurity and stuff, that are all born out of the same, and they stop you from being able to move forward in what God has called you to, to his will, his good and pleasing will. That's what he's called us to. And our task as elders has been to try and help renew our minds, your minds, through this series, together. That we, ourselves, are more than conquerors. We are David in the story. I'm David in the story, so are you. But not the YouTube common version one. Not the insignificant one. You're not incapable. You are not without skill. There are many people in this room with incredible talents and skills that God has had in you all your life and you've been growing them. When you look at musicians, you think of musicians' skill. You have their skill of caring in some of, the, some of my brothers and sisters in this church are just phenomenal in the skill of being able to care for people. Ability to explain things, ability to support, ability to administer medicine to people. There is skill and gifting throughout this church. So I want to just remove the points from my three exhibits and talk about how about, how about us. Firstly, fear. So firstly on fear. Don't be afraid. God is always with us. It says in Matthew 28, 20, till the ends of the age. You are not ill-equipped. You have everything you need. And most of it, God has put in you already. But he continues to add to it. 2 Peter 1, 3 says, His divine power has given everything we need for life and godliness. This morning I was reading Hebrews 13, 21. Every good gift has been given to you so that you might apply them to the work that God has planned for you. And lastly, you are not without skill. 
Don't fall for the lie that David was skillless. No, he wasn't. Exodus 3, 31, 3 says this of Moses. I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with wisdom and understanding, with knowledge and all kinds of skills. So it said to Moses. But it's about putting skill in people to do things. He has put stuff in us already to do great things. God does not drop skill on David in that moment. He puts skills and talents in him already and then they're cultivated like a musician in a way. David was not super talented. He's still quite young, but he had some skills and God took them and put them to use. Can we get the worship team back up if that's all right? David took down something that was stopping him from moving forwards. So can we. So can you. You have an incredible weapon at your disposal. It's a weapon you need to hone. The weapon is prayer. And what's in the sling is the name of Jesus Christ. Ephesians 6 says that we need to stay alert and persevere in all prayer. Tonight's a prayer night. Every Sunday night we have a prayer night. There's a chance there too. Take the skills you have. I've mentioned them before. Take the weapon of prayer and the name of Jesus. Whatever this series has thrown up for you, remember we've covered a lot of topics together, whatever it's thrown up for you, start spinning the prayer weapon. And when that Goliath appears, or even now as it's hindering you today, or through this series stuff has come up, you think that's really where I, I get stuck, emotional, financial, relational, vocational, my job is just too difficult, I can't seem to make it work for me to be part of my calling. Whatever is hindering you, spin that prayer weapon, put the name of Jesus in it and fire, and fire. It's not as big as it pretends to be. It's nowhere invisible, as it, invincible sorry, as it likes to think it is. If you feel like you're in hand-to-hand -hand combat with one of these things we've been talking about, Come forward at the end. Let someone help you pick up a stone. Take the obstacle down. God is craving to set us free. That's what this series has been about. He's trying to expose the enemy so we can take it down, make it clear what it's like, weaken it by exposing it. That's what I tried to do with Goliath. Let's just bring him down a couple of notches a second. He's not what he pretends to be. And neither is those challenges. But the power of God can take it down. David was not passive in that. And that's what I want to say. If you come forward for prayer... David wasn't passive, he was actively trying to move forward. He, pass he wasn't passive, he actively took action. That's what coming forward, sometimes for prayer means, I'm actively coming forward to be helped. God has plans for you, plans to prosper you in your life, your job, your home, your family, your friendships, even in this community. The word says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. And Always, always, please remember this thing. The greatest obstacle of all, sin and death, that separate us from God has been taken down. God is modeling something for us that he asked us to do in our own lives. The greatest thing of all that stood in your way was sin. It separated you from God. Yet with a dying man on a cross who rose victorious, sin and death has been conquered. So this series was based on Romans 12, 2. You've got it on your books if you've still got them with you. Do not be conformed to this, the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what, the will of, what is the will of God, 
what is good and acceptable and perfect. Our aim through all of this was to help us renew our minds, that we can discern his will for our lives and press through. And then we can sing and say, if our God is for us, who on earth can stand against him, natural or supernatural, real or perceived? Emotional, physical, financial, if it's in the way, God's trying to say, in this series, I'm going to expose it and let's take it down. Anything that hinders you, run the race with perseverance. Amen? Amen. Amen. We're going to sing.